Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, Mosaic Church. My name is Pastor Jason Montano, lead pastor of Mosaic, and want to say welcome to all of you here and to everyone who's joining us online, a very special welcome to you as well. Uh, if you've been here for some time or been around us, uh, this is the time where I come up and tell announcements and you fall asleep. Uh, we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, I thought there's a better way that we can help bring you into the story of what's happening behind the scenes of Mosaic, because a lot of things that are happening you don't necessarily hear or see about. It kind of depends what circle that you're in. Things such as seeing what's happening in our amazing ministries, hearing stories from the front line of our impact and our kids and our youth ministries, uh, also hearing what's happening larger outside of what's just happening inside of Slinger. A lot of times when we talk, we're talking a lot about love where you live. We talk about pouring our life and our heart into our community, which is correct and proper. It's what we do, but we also are part of something bigger than us called the Alliance. The Alliance is a a group of churches that are networked together. Uh, We are part of something that you'll hear a lot of both locally. They're their church planting group as well as internationally. In fact, the Alliance has churches way more overseas than they actually do in the United States. And that's because they had a very focused mission, which is to reach unreached people groups. And if you've ever heard of missions or missionaries, or that might be a new term for you, let me catch you up a little bit. Uh, The purpose of missionaries is to go into a place in which a group of people have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then that missionary goes to help understand a culture and actually come into a culture versus just come and bring what we would say American culture. So missionaries go to where people are, learn where they are, and help them understand their need for Jesus Christ. And it's a very important piece of what we do in our work because we are called to make disciples of Jesus everywhere. And this is part of the joy of what we do, is we're part of a group that is doing this internationally. Now, being the lead pastor, I hear lots of stories. I get to sit and listen to people come in and share what's happening globally. And I wanted to share with you a quick video of what is happening in other places. Now, when you are giving to Mosaic, you're giving to part of this. We are part of what's called the Great Commission Fund, which means these are covering of our missionaries that are going overseas. We have some direct partners, which you'll hear from over the year, but we also are part of a larger global thing where we are helping fund reaching unreached people groups. Now, I want to apologize right away for this video because the, uh, the words are on the bottom, uh, so they didn't know how our screen was set up here, so I apologize for that. Uh, so we try to do the best we can, and it's translated, so to the best of your ability, try to keep with it. Again, I apologize that the uh, translations are on the bottom. Yo fui el primero creyente, les invitamos a otras personas. Antes de comer la palabra en la Biblia, les compartíamos. Cuando teníamos ya como de 80 personas, empezó la persecución. Cuando se me pusieron en el medio de, de la gente de, de 1.500 habitantes, yo les dije, mira, yo he encontrado un Dios que me liberó, ya no me curo con los brujos, ahora tengo mi Dios que es Jesús, eso dije. Se enojaron la gente. Me querían quemar. Me querían ahorcar.
when we discovered that there were indigenous people that did not know about Jesus and his grace, and we thought, how could that be? The Huichol, they are people who resisted the Spanish conquests. They're fierce people. And so their resistance to the gospel is not so much a resistance to the message of the gospel as it is a reflection on their pride as a people. They are in remote, remote areas, and they themselves do not want the roads to be repaired so that people can't easily get to them. This task requires our Mexican team, our U.S. Alliance team, and our Huichol team together, working together. Bueno, cuando Dios me llamó, no sé, fue como sobrenatural. Quiero servir a la gente, quiero que la gente que conozcan al Dios verdadero. Empezamos a a orar para regresar a nuestra comunidad y evangelizar. They're the only ones that can go back to their own people and share because they know the great cost that they had to go through to accept Christ. But we have to do our job too, be present in our capacity to disciple and lead and train and mentor. So for us to get there, we'll drive two hours on Good Highway, another six hours up over the mountains on paved roads sometimes. Then we'll take more rural roads. On those roads though, you don't know if it's washed out and sometimes we'll run into cartels and they'll normally let us go through. From there, we'll go to other communities on, on harder road, which will take us another hour and a half, two hours. We have to cross a river sometimes. If it's too high, we won't be able to get over. first come in and give them some rice, we give them some sugar, we give them some flour. They have a very hard time understanding why we're doing that. And we transmit that into because there's a God who's our Father. God's giving you a gift. One reason we're entering the Southwest area is because they're more open. The town elders let us have an evangelistic service for the first time ever. I got to read a Bible verse. Luis got to preach. La primera vez que yo vine aquí casi quería llorar porque no fue un sueño que lo más importante que yo he aprendido es estar en los lugares, estar presente. La obra ha sido avanzando, ¿no? pero creo que no es como el primer pueblo, habrá más pueblos que, que compartir ¿no? el Evangelio. Si uno no va, pues no hay, no hay resultado. ¿no? We're being enriched and learning from our Wichol brother. When they see the value of what Christ does for them and that God loves them, nothing else matters. They choose Christ. So that's why they're such great witnesses. No puedo ir para la comunidad solamente dejando a Jesús. No quiero dejar a Jesús donde estamos. Uh, donde a Dios. Thanks. Imagine if you came into Slinger and uh, because you love Jesus, you can't come here anymore and you're kicked out. Imagine to go to church 
it took you four hours and you had to go across rivers and man, young people are late because the Super Bowl's happening, you know what I mean? <laughs> there is something amazing that's happening outside of our walls and we're part of that team. We're part of what happened right there. And there's something that I, I have a dream of. I have a dream that we are going to send international workers from our church in the next five years. And that could mean you. I'm always asking and praying and looking that in the next five years, somebody from our church is going to be, they're called second career missionaries, which means right now you've got a job, right now you're doing something, you, you've got the thing going on, and you're starting to get that unrest that maybe God's calling you to something bigger. Uh, let me share you something about what it means to be a missionary, because Nick and I are missionaries to Washington County. Think about it. Everything they're talking about, we do that. We just, it looks different. We're in this people group. But there's a heart and a passion for doing missions outside into a larger scale so that everybody can know the hope of Jesus Christ. As Americans, you have it on your fingertips, on your phones. You can Google search, how do I follow Jesus? It's right there. In parts of the world, they do not have that opportunity. The only way we get there is by you and by us. So that's my dream and that's my prayer. So um, I'm going to ask everyone before you, I'm just kidding, I won't do that to you. <laughs> but let's dream big, Mosaic Church. What if we become part of the movement in which the gospel is spreading even further, just not in Washington County, but throughout the entire world? I want to thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for giving into this because it's not just here that's being impacted by your generosity. It's going further than we can even imagine for God to get all the glory. Let's give and pray right now for our missionaries uh, who are international. God, we come together right now as Mosaic family and ask that you would bless every single one of the people who have given their life to reach people. Lord, I think of that brother who right now can't go back to his own home uh, unless he denounces Jesus. And he says, I would, I'm never going to denounce him. I, I'm not giving up on Jesus. Lord, there's so many more like that in places that have not been reached with people groups who do not know the greatness of your gospel. And we pray right now, Lord, that you would rise up a next generation of missionaries, that you would send us to places to everybody to know to hear the great hope that we have in a God that loves us. God, we uh, just pray blessings on those two missionaries, the ones even further and abroad throughout the entire world. Lord, they need your strength. And Lord, it, it becomes tiresome. Give them strength. Let them know, Lord God, that they are not alone today, that we are behind them 100%. Bless them in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Well, God is on the move, amen? Our Savior is advancing. The kingdom of God is moving forward. We see Jesus moving in this video overseas. We hear stories about the incredible things that God is accomplishing in our world. But God is moving right here in Washington County as well. We see the Spirit of God advancing here in Washington County through the people and presence of Mosaic Church. And some of the ways that we've seen that most recently, I've had the opportunity to sit with our impact ministry team, which is going to help coordinate some of the outreach efforts where we literally get to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and to our friends outside these four walls. And, four walls. and they are planning with a nonprofit organization here in Washington County to bring some incredible opportunities to you here in the coming months ahead. 
But we also have this past week, 30 plus people who made a decision that they wanted to be involved in a disciple making process in our small groups to go out and share the word of Jesus. Every Sunday here at Mosaic Church on Sunday night, we have 262 meeting, equipping and training our teenagers to be the next generation that proclaims the name of Christ where they go out beyond these four walls. Jesus is on the move. And we have the ability, church, to be able to partner with him and do that, not just here on Sunday mornings as we gather and fellowship together, but we have the ability to participate in all these incredible opportunities that Jesus is doing in our church, both in our physical presence and also through the gift of our financial tithes and offerings. The truth is, church, is that we can't do any of this without your generosity. And so we're going to move into a time of giving back to Jesus a little of what he's given to us through the worship of giving of our tithes and offerings. And there's multiple ways that you can do that today. You can join us by giving online through our website at mosaicwi.com. There's a joy box out at our welcome table that you can drop your tithes and offerings in there as well. Or you can certainly feel free to do it the old-fashioned way and drop it in the mail if you so choose. But let's take a moment and let's praise God for the gift that he has given us and that we would use the gifts that we give back to him for his glory in the advancement of Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. Jesus, it is an unspeakable gift of what you did for us on the cross of Calvary. God, that we have relationship with you, that we know you, that we are called your friends. And because of that, Lord, because we've been given so much, we want to give back just a little of what you've given us, Father God, not only in our abilities, but also, Father God, in our finances. And so, Lord, for those who give either online or whatever way they choose, Lord, we ask that you would take those gifts, Lord, that you would multiply those gifts. Father, that they would go forth and they would produce fruit and proclaim your name here in Washington County, in Wisconsin, and indeed to the entire world. We thank you for that, and we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Well, kiddos, I know that you've been sitting patiently. You've had to listen to me and Jason talk for a long time now, and the time has come. Your Mosaic Kids uh, coordinator is at the back of the room. I invite you to go join them uh, oh, next door. They will be available immediately after service, parents, so we will bring them back to you. And with that being said, let's prepare our hearts for the message. morning we're going to be continuing our uh, series in Genesis. Uh, if you've been j just joining us or joining us online or through our podcast, it's been quite an adventure and today is absolutely no different. Uh, today we're going to be digging into a passage that is odd and hard to hear and honestly it's a solid PG-13 message. We're going to be dealing with the, with the concept of rape and circumcision. So I just want you to be aware of that. Uh, know that that's going to be our topic for today. Uh, but it's from the Word of God. And what's so odd about these things as we deal with these passages is that we have to understand that Genesis is an inspired Word of God that, that is, means it's inspiration. So if you haven't heard of that before, inspiration means that. 
We believe that God himself wrote through humans the words and the stories that he wanted collected for all time for people to be able to reflect on and to know and to study from. Now, when you get into passages like this, the first thing we're going to ask, and why in the world is this in the Bible? What benefit does it have to, see, what to have us to have? Because it is so upsetting, it's not comfortable, and it doesn't really make sense. Because we're going to look at it from a concept. When we read this, you're going to say, well, what does that have to do with me? So one of the things we need to learn about our Bible reading, and especially in a book like Genesis, Genesis is a narrative, which means it is telling you an account or story of what happened. In the Word of God, everything we're going to learn today can be applied. We can have a new understanding of who God is. But sometimes there's a story there to understand a bigger story. When we take the Bible out of context, we just start pulling out certain passages because if you've done Bible reading or in the Christian world, you'll see we'll repeat certain things or we'll say the same verses. We want the stuff that applies to me, right? How can I grow in my faith walk? Which is not a bad thing. It's very, very good. However, one of the things that's been happening over the course of time is that we're starting to ignore passages we don't feel comfortable with. We don't want to preach about them. We don't want to teach them. We just kind of pretend that those books or those passages don't exist. And what's happening is that we're not understanding who God is. So we take the verses and passages that apply to me, good. We skip the verses to understand God, not good. And so then what happens is that scripture becomes all about me. And as it becomes all about me, I start to worship the Bible more than I worship the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? I start to worship the words because it's making me a better person. And they, that's God's intention is to show us how to live kingdom-minded. However, we're missing the beauty of the fact that this is meant to reflect and worship the God Almighty. That's the purpose of the Word of God, to have our lives transformed to worship and reflect Him. And so this passage today, we're going to look at it from the concept of narrative, but at the same time understand a theme that has been consistent through all of Genesis, is that sin keeps going on, God uses broken people, and we cannot get out of this mess ourselves. This narrative of Genesis is the storytelling of how God's people were being born and how this whole thing came to fruition. And this book is so powerful because it's going to set up everything for us when Jesus enters the story. So uh, to get you caught up, if you're just joining us or missed a few weeks, Last week, we dug into this whole new idea here. Of, we had Abraham, who is uh, God's chosen. Uh, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, he was going to have a son. His son was going to be Isaac. Isaac, then we see, gets older, and he has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And that's what we talked about last week. Now, Esau and Jacob had a, little, a very tumultuous beginning in the beginning, they were inside of their mother's womb, and they are fighting and kicking each other. And so she asked, what's the deal with this? And the, the Lord speaks to her and says that you are going to have the younger son is going to master over the older son. And culturally, that's a very different concept because the older is the one who receives all the blessings and essentially the inheritance. So these two are born. The first one is born. Esau comes out. He's all red, and we find out he's super, super hairy. 
And that's a really odd thing to note there. He's red and hairy, so he's not, probably not the most attractive baby ever. So he comes out first. The second baby comes out, who is Jacob, and he is grasping the heel. He's holding on to the heel. So we're just like microseconds apart. Um, uh, mom's in here. Yikes, huh? So you got microseconds apart here. He comes out. He's holding the heel. And what we learn is that Esau is translated. His name means hairy. And then Jacob comes out with an idiom, which is he grasps the heel, which is an idiom or a saying, like we would say raining cats and dogs. It's a saying in which means he's a deceiver. He's a trickster. So we, we joked last week that we have two sons, Harry and Shady, right? <laughs> so Harry and Shady are now born. And in this, something starts to happen where there's a trickery that goes on with Jacob. Uh, his, son, his brother Esau's out hunting. He's a hunter. Jacob stays at home. Esau's out hunting, and he comes back, and he's famished, and Jacob was home making stew, and he was like, give me some food or I'm going to die, super dramatic, and he says, I'll give you some food if you sell me your birthright, which means I get all of your inheritance, homie. I'm the firstborn then. He's like, I don't care. What does it matter? I'm going to die anyways if I don't eat. So he eats and goes away, and Jacob has now stolen the birthright. It moves on later in the story in which now Jacob is going to steal the blessing from his father. So his father is Isaac. He, Isaac can't see, he's old in age, he's lost his sight, and so he can't tell who is who, and he tricks him by putting on goat skins onto his arms and the back of his neck so he was super hairy like his brother. And so he goes up and is like, hey, it's, it's not Jacob, it's Esau. And his dad feels him and smells him, he's like, okay, this must be you. He gets the blessing, which means his last will and testament. So he gets the inheritance and he is blessed, which means the blessing or the covenant that came to Abraham went to Isaac, supposed to go to Esau, but we jumped over that and went to Jacob. So there's trickery that happened, and you can't take that back. Like, you can't, like, oh, just kidding. So there is no blessing for Esau on that. So now Isaac has blessed Jacob. Jacob now is going to be the lineage of which now God's going to fulfill his covenant. So we move forward in this, and yesterday we're, we're thinking, like, last week, we we're like, this is just crazy because God is allowing this to happen. And what we're learning is that God works in the midst of all of our mistakes and mess. And so a lot of times when we're reading the Bible, when we start to look at characters, we, we fantasize, we make superheroes out of them. Especially when we were younger. Like when I was younger, we'd have the, I went to Sunday school, and I'm going to talk to all my felt board Sunday school people out here right now. Uh, before iPads and before digital screens, uh, we had felt boards, which means it's a large felt board in which you'd have felt characters and these characters would stick on and you'd be like, here's a shepherd, wham, here's a sheep, wham. And then they would tell the story in Sunday school through the felt board. Yeah, I think it should come back if you ask me, I'm just saying, because it's so awesome. And uh, so we'd have our felt boards. And what you would see is like these people like were like superheroes a lot of times in here. And we'd start to build up the story of that these people almost weren't even human. They're more like Batmans and Supermans, more like Wonder Womans. Like in our mind, they weren't really kind of real human. As a young person, I just kind of fantasized. So I started to read the Bible, and I started to realize that these people aren't superhuman superpowers. In fact, they're all messed up, just like you and I. And so when we look at scriptures today, we're looking at through that same lens, that God still makes promise to Abraham, though he messed up, Isaac, though he messed up, and now we're going to look at Jacob, and you're like, dude, can't one of you get this right? Because now we have another problem. 
with these patriarchs or the beginning story of our people. So when we read through this, I'm just warning you, it's going to read like a violent, weird movie. Um, it's a long passage. We're in Genesis chapter 34. It's too long to put on the screen, so if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles with you, if you guys in the back would turn up the lights for our Bible readers, please. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 34. This is an account now of Jacob, and now he has kids. And his kids now, we're going to see, are going to get into a situation, and it's going to be not good. Not good at all. We are in Genesis chapter 34. Here we go. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit with women of the land. When Shisham, son of Hamor, the Hevite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah because of Jacob, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shisham said to his father, Hamar, get me this girl as my wife. Then Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled. His sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shisham's father, Hamar, went to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's son had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shisham had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamar said to him, My son Shisham has a heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shisham said to Dinah's father and the brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shisham and his father Hamar. They said to him, uh, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamar and his son Shisham. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they asked. They had said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamar and his son Shisham went into the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly towards us, they said. Let us live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamar and his son Shisham, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamar and his son Shisham to the sword and took Dinah from Shisham's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else in theirs, in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all of their wealth and all of their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. 
Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Pezzarites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? Let us pray. (laughs) What a crazy story! What in the world is happening in this account? So we pick up the story and we see the first daughter, Dinah. And Dinah is must be, and we can only assume, she must be drop-dead gorgeous. There's something about this woman that the, all, all the people in the land are like, whoa, look at this woman. And so she goes into the city, into which, funny enough, the name of the city is Shisham in Canaan. So she goes into the city, and the prince sees her. And what's fascinating within the first three verses, the prince sees her, and then he rapes her. After he rapes her, he now says, I love you. How messed up and twisted is this guy? That his first inclination is to take what he wants. Now, we're going to put some assumptions knowing a bit of the history and what it's like when it comes to power and prestige and rulers and princes. We're going to assume that this guy thinks he gets whatever he wants whenever he wants it. So we're going to assume that he sees her and he's like, I can take whatever I want. I'm the prince of this place. Who's going to stop me? So he takes her, he sees her, he defiles her, and then says, you know, I think she's pretty great. I think I want to marry her. She really gets me, you know? <laughs> like, I really, I can see myself living a long life with her. We could have a family, and I, I mean, she just warms me, and we can talk, and we snuggle well. What is this dude thinking? <laughs> that he would take this approach of saying, I'm going to take, and now I want. And so this whole story starts out, absolutely, completely twisted. But to make it very clear, the language of the author makes us know for fact this wasn't some consensual, she snuck off to have a one-night stand. There was no one-night stand, there's no consensual here. She went there to meet up with friends or people or connections or relationships. This guy sees her, this guy takes her, and this horrible, horrible thing happens. So now the story starts to move a little bit. As it moves, Jacob learns about what is happening, and Jacob's first response is to do nothing. I just want you to process, and maybe you didn't catch that in the writing. He says, my sons are out in the field, so he did nothing. Nothing. He didn't, he didn't go get them. He didn't send a carrier. I mean, if he's, an, he's older now, right? So he's like, I can't go attack an entire city. But what, we're, what we learned in the last passage is he's worried about losing everything. He's more concerned about all of his goods and getting run over or them being annihilated than he is about his daughter who just went through this terrible thing. So he says, she's raped. Okay, I'm just going to wait until the brothers come home because they'll help me take care of this. So already we're seeing Jacob. The deceiver is also spineless because his daughter has just been defiled. Now, if he held the promise, and this is so important to understand as we get through Genesis, he holds the promise of God on his shoulders in which he stole from his brother the birthright. He stole from him the blessing of his father to pass on. So he holds the promise of God on him in which God said to Abraham, you are going to be a great nation. There'll be more than you than the stars in the heavens. And so he holds this promise on him and he's afraid he's going to get wiped out with all of his family. He didn't 
believe or hold to or whatever his story is, he didn't know or trust whatever we want to say. He did not hold to the promise that God had through him. And I don't want to be mad at Jacob because we don't hold to the promise God has in us either. When God says, I promise I have a way for you, follow my, follow my son Jesus Christ, we do kind of. But then when things get hard, you're like, God, did you really say that? And we hold to the promise that God said, if you call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But there's still times in my life where I don't live in my promise. I don't live in my covenant. I don't live like that. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And I'm like, I'll obey you and I love you when it's convenient to me, God. Because sometimes I just don't want to. I mean, it's just me, right? I'm on the stage again. I'm the one on the spotlight. So it's just me. You, I assume, have some of the same issues that I do, and we start to fall back and not believe the promise that God's given us. And so Jacob is here, and he's concerned. He's forgotten that God has said, to make you a great nation. Otherwise, he would have sent out and said, I'm not afraid of getting annihilated because we're not going to be annihilated. And we're not going to intermarry with anybody because that's not what we do. We're God's chosen people. We're not here to do this. But look at his sons start to connive and bring this amazing crazy story even more forward. So the brothers find out about it, and the first thing is that they are infuriated. Jacob's like, oh, uh, we'll wait. The brothers are infuriated. And so now the sons of Shady, (laughs) notice the connection here. The sons of Shady are sure enough Shady. And so they sit down with this meeting with them, and this guy's like, dude, I will give you anything you want for your sister. She is so amazing. We had this amazing connection, you know? Like, I swiped the right way on her, like, swipe left. I'm like, man, like, I think she could be, like, the mother of all my children. I just, I love her. And they're like, dude, you defiled her. They know what's going on. They're very aware of what happened. And they, so they sit down for a plot to actually push forward something that's going to be astronomical. Because I don't know how you convince an entire city of men to do this. You all have to be circumcised to be with us. You have to become like us to be like us. So the big thing that's happening here is that we have to look at is that this disgrace that is happening and all this has a condition that is astronomical. Look at Genesis 34, 13 to 17. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully, there's a shady, as they spoke to Shisham and his father Hamar. They said to him, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who's not circumcised. Notice he didn't say who just raped our sister. I can't give our sister to a man who just isn't circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we'll give you all our daughters and your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. What is with circumcision? If you're not familiar with circumcision or really what's going on other than a normal, what happens a lot in the United States, uh, it happens, of course, among the Jewish people, what exactly is this circumcision ritual and what is it really about? So we have to go back to God and Abraham. So we're going back to, we're going back to Grandpa here. We're going all the way back to Abraham. And God makes a, an agreement with Abraham And there's a covenant that's made. A covenant is an agreement, and covenants have an agreement, have a symbol or a sign to remind the people of what they've agreed to. 
An example of covenant would be our wedding rings. I wear the wedding ring as an example or a symbol or a reminder that I am married. It's also a symbol to everyone around me that I am married, okay? So a symbol is an important piece of a covenant that's a, that beautiful reminder, and this is the same thing. So God says to Abraham, and we're going to go backwards in the Bible a little bit, Genesis 17, 1 to 14. Listen to this. This is what's going on with this covenant with Abraham. He was then Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make, you nations, I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, and to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you should be circum shall be circumcised. You are to undergo a circumcision. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whenever born in your household or whether born in your household or bought with money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Sign of the circumcision is a very, very important piece of the covenant between God and his people. This is not something that can be undone. We can't, fix, we can't go back and redo this. So this covenant is a way of marking or showing that these people are set apart. This is a sign between God and Abraham and the descendants to come. It is a mark to say we are marked by God. This is our God and he is our God and we are his and this is our sign. This is our symbol. So it is a very precious, important thing. So now we fast forward into this idea of Shisha. So they take purposely out of context any foreigners that are among you must be circumcised. They take it out of context because they're the kids of Shady, right? Kids of Shady, we're going to take it out of context. Now you're foreigners, you want to be with us. Actually, our covenant with God says that you all have to be circumcised or we can't be with you guys, which isn't what God said, and that wasn't the intention of what God was doing. And so now this circumcision piece, and the, <laughs> it's fascinating, the prince is like, I'll do anything you want. I will do anything you want. I've got to have this girl. And he's like, can you imagine this conversation? Hey, guys, um, the prince really likes this girl, and like all the guys here have to be circumcised, and that's just the deal. What do you think? Do you think they're all like, let's go. <laughs> like, this is great. What do we get out of this? He had to actually persuade the group. Look, hey, we get their women, and they are gorgeous women, right? So we get their women. We'll become one big people group. And in this people group, we get, we're going to get all their livestock. You're going to marry them. They are super rich. 
We're going to get their possessions. Yeah, it's going to be a little uncomfortable for a while. Um, but, but hey, think about what we're going to gain in the end. There must have been more than just what we're seeing here because my first answer is like, bro, no, I'm not doing that. Every guy in here is like, nope, Jason, I don't care what you ask. There's no way. And so this, it, we're going back in time, guys. There's not numbing agents. There isn't Tylenol. There isn't anything to help with the process. This is not a good situation for this town. But they were so enamored with the idea of bringing these two groups together, like, let's do it. We're going to get everything. This is going to be awesome. We're going to be rich. We get their beautiful women. Yeah, it's going to be rough for a couple of days, but man, we got this, right? So they say, okay. Now, the sons of Shady are snickering because their intention the whole time was not that. So they go and get circumcised while they're still healing and an immense amount of pain, unable to walk, unable to defend themselves, unable to move around very well. They come in and they kill all of them. They take all of their women. They take all of their possessions. They take all of their livestock. They take everything like, oh, yoink, this is what you do for raping our, our sister. And they take it all back into uh, back to Jacob. And now while they're doing this, and as this is happening, Jacob is concerned that the people around them are going to be mad at him. And so they come back, and why did you do this? Don't you know they're all going to rise up against us and wipe me out? I don't know what it is about Jacob. We see him like super shady and deceiving, but now this time of his life, he has really lost his backbone because his concern, his concern wasn't that his sons just wiped out an entire innocent city. They just did what the guy said, like, okay, I'm in. And they wouldn't, they wiped out an entire innocent city. The people of God wiped out and murdered an entire innocent city. That is not right. Rape is not right. Killing everybody is not right. Yet the people of God continue to be messed up and mixed up with sin. It is still corrupting everything. And so God still uses the promise and God's covenant is still fulfilled because God is still going to use this lineage to bring Jesus Christ and God's people. The Messiah is still coming. Now, one of the things that I am fascinated by this is how many of our patriarchs or these superheroes of the Bible are complete villains. If you're new to Bible reading, this is shocking. Or if you haven't been in the Old Testament for a while, this is shocking because we think of our superheroes as the one who saved the day. There's only one person in all of the Bible who's going to save the day. His name is Jesus Christ. There is no other superhero in the Bible. There is no other superhero. There is no one else that I pray to, ask for help, ask for forgiveness. There's one superhero. It's the Messiah, the, child, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to fix everything. Because what we're seeing right here is that God continues to have his plan move forward in spite of our mess. Because even though this happened, we're like, well, did God condone this? Is God okay with this? Why would God let this happen? This is the crazy part of this story. God is still, and I, don't ask me how this works, because this is a big theology question. I, don't, I can't figure this out. God still works in and through us in spite of what we are doing, and his plan continues to move forward. And I cannot figure out how. Because then my mind, logical, 
well, if I turn left, would I still get in a car accident if I turn right? If I do this, what about, like, I start getting all those, like, the choose-your-own-adventure book stories. Remember those? <laughs> when we were kids in the 80s, we'd have the book, choose-your-own-adventure, and, like, do you choose A, B, or C? And you take A, and then you find you got eaten by a bunch of snakes, so you go back, and then you go pick B instead. Like, this story would let you choose the way that you go for an outcome. What if, God, what if I don't have the answer for that? What we know from scriptures is the answer is God continues to work in spite of you which takes the pressure off in a lot of ways because you are never going to be a superhero. You aren't a super Christian. You are going to make a ton of mistakes and you are saved by grace. And this is the grace of God because if you remember the beginning of Genesis when God said, I've had enough with people and he wipes out, there's annihilation because sin has become so great. Since that time, sin has continued to climb. I've never in my life heard more people say, you know, we're getting to a point where I think Jesus may be coming back soon than I have in the last year. Sin continues to climb. Depravity of the mind continues to grow. And so instead of God saying, I'm done with humanity, he now says, I'm saving my people. When Jesus comes back, those who are in him are saved and redeemed. And instead of getting what we deserve, we get what Christ deserves, which is eternity. Blows me away. So in our Bible reading, in our stories like this, we look at this and we start to process, what do we know about God? God is gracious. God doesn't change his covenant even though we break it. God works with messy, hurting, broken people. And God, in spite of all of this, in spite of all the sin and all the mess, uses these group of people and uses us today to advance the gospel. Just like that story we just saw of our missions uh, what's happening overseas, I can promise you, I've been around missionaries and people, they aren't superheroes either. Their marriages aren't perfect either. They struggle just like you. They have doubt just like you. Any superhero you think of a Christian faith, they are just as broken and messed up as you. And if I'm an example for you, I'm the most cracked egg of them all. So our God is so amazing that in spite of all of this, his story is going to move forward. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.